I remember when I used to go to her office, she had all of the kids' pictures on her wall. And I remember at a certain point looking at that, and some of them were like my classmates, so I knew them. And I remember thinking, I wanna do that. Like, I wanna be the doctor that takes care of everybody in the neighborhood and then their families, you know? And I, again, I didn't know enough to know what that would look like, um, but I just remember thinking, I want people to send me their school pictures. <laughs> and I want, I want to. Hey guys, Dr. Dale here. Really quick before we start this episode, I want to ask you to support our mission by doing one thing. Just subscribe. Subscribe to our YouTube channel or our podcast channel, whichever one you listen to. Just hit that subscribe button. The way our podcasts get out there is by you guys liking it, by subscribing, and of course by sharing as well. So if you do one of those things for us right now, we really appreciate it. We work very hard to make these episodes for you guys. We work very hard to get them out for you guys and just to try to uplift the entire community. So if you could help us out by doing one of those things, subscribe, share, or like every time. I really appreciate it. Love you guys. What is up, family? I'm Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor Wisdom from Parents Who Did It, the author of Black Men and White Codes, the author of Pre-Med Mondays, the author of the Dr. Doc Children series, and the author of a new book that's coming out in a little bit, which you'll hear more about and you listen to the Black Men and White Coats podcast. But today, we got a Black woman in a white coat who I'm super excited to tell you about. Super excited. But before I do, you guys know me already. I got some announcements to make. So let me grab my phone. The first announcement I am going to make is about our... MCAT scholarship winner. So as you all know, we've been giving out MCAT, paying for MCATs. We're not giving out MCATs. Hey, I don't want to give anybody an MCAT, but we've been paying for MCATs. So um, we're going to pay for 20 of them, right? So I'm telling you guys, if you're a pre-med, get ready to take the MCAT. If you just took the MCAT, go to blackmenandwhitecoast.org backslash MCAT. We're paying for MCATs. We're cutting checks, guys. Not playing, right? We've already put money in people's banks, right? So this week's winner is Haley Kaplan. Haley Kaplan. Haley Kaplan is a pre-med at the University of Texas, Austin. And let's put Haley's video right here. Hello, my name is Haley Kaplan and I am going into my third year at UT Austin and I will make the field of medicine better when I become a doctor by making patients feel comfortable and listened to. I hope that this will encourage those who are hesitant to see doctors more likely to visit. Additionally, I plan to perform outreach in communities with people from all walks of life and socioeconomic backgrounds to hopefully encourage those in the community to view doctors more as friends. In these communities, I wanna teach healthy lifestyle practices such as healthy eating behaviors, safe sex practices, and self-compassion and mindfulness practices to assist with mental health. Thank you for your time and consideration. All right, so congratulations, Haley. So all you need to do to get your money for the MCAT is email us info at blackmenandwhitecoats.org, info at blackmenandwhitecoats.org, and we got your MCAT covered. Remember, everybody, apply, man. We're giving out money. Don't miss it. Special thanks to the Black Greek Letter Organization for helping us um, with some fundraising efforts so we can pay for y'all's MCATs as well. Um, other announcements. So we're going to have the Black Men and White Coats virtual lunch in in a couple of weeks. So I'm going to put the link down below. So you guys, whatever platform you're on, check down below. We'll put the link so you guys can register for that. So, you know, once a quarter, a bunch of people get online, we get in groups, we break up, and we have a great mentoring luncheon. So make sure you guys join us for that as well. And that's about all the announcements I got because I want to get into my guest today, man. Super excited. You know, um, 
I've actually never met her. So Dr. Thais Gaines, that's who it is, Dr. Thais Gaines. Some of you guys might have seen her. I, I, I know her from like social media and kind of following her stuff. Um, I've never met her in person, but I've, you know, I've been a fan, right? In the periphery kind of following and watching. And she does some really cool stuff, which we're going to get into here. Um, a lot of it, actually, I won't tell you. We'll get into it in the conversation. That way you guys can, can hear it. But, you know, I think it's really cool. I wanted her on here because every now and then it's easy to get just caught up in just kind of the regularities of medicine and everybody has everybody does everybody has their own story right but a lot of the journeys you know okay person went to college they went to med school they went to residency this is what they like to yada 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 and that's all great we get some great stories out here you guys go back to the podcast but hers is different because she's got some other stuff outside of medicine and i am dying to know why and how she got into this so let's welcome dr ty what's going on Thank you for having me. And uh, I am also a fan of yours as well. So this is equally a pleasure of mine. More of a pleasure for me. Trust me, more of a pleasure for me. Um, so we're going to get into, you know, we're going to break it down and tell everybody what's going on in your life and such like But before I do, I've, I've started my very first question that I want to ask everybody. My very first question is, if you were not a medical doctor, what would you be? Good question. Um, well, I have been out of college now for 20 years. Oh, 20 years this month. Look Congrats. at that. Um, so I think that I probably would have gone into journalism first because um, I was already starting to write back then. But by now, I probably already would have been out of journalism <laughs> by now and on to something else um probably something in business or entrepreneurial or something of that nature this is funny but you, I, as, as we're going to see you're actually in all of those things anyways it sounds like this is this is true this is true so with, with the journalism um and we'll get into what you do now but let's say if that was your first pick your first career choice if you weren't if you weren't a doctor what type of journalism would you have gone into would you be on the screen behind the scenes writing or Good question. So back then I was doing more writing. I was doing more writing. I had um, dabbled a little bit in TV, but even in that I was behind the camera. It actually took me a while for them to finally kind of shove me in front of the camera. Um, I was perfectly happy writing scripts, producing, writing articles, taking photographs, even shooting my own video. Um, I didn't really want to be in front of the screen. And then, you know, in this scenario you're talking about, I'm not a doctor, so I would probably have just stayed there. But because I was first a med student and then a physician, everyone was like, you cannot be a doctor behind the camera. Like you need to be in front of the camera. People want you to yeah. say these things and to talk about the facts and to trust you. So go. And then hence the shove. So um, so I imagine that if I wasn't a physician, I probably would have stayed behind the camera, to be honest with you. And I probably would have been fine doing that. Um, but yeah, definitely they just could not fathom me being in a newsroom, being a physician and not standing in front of the camera saying, hi, I'm Dr. Ty. And today we're going to talk about X, Y, Z. So I got nudged and nudged <laughs> until I went. <laughs> That's the thing. When you have those uh, certain letters after your name, those uh, credentials, you know, they lead you to have to step up and have a louder voice. All right, so, so I'm really fascinated with this. You became a medical doctor, you liked journalism and such. So let's take it all the way back to childhood. What was your first love? Was it was it medicine? Was it journalism? Was it something else? How did you how did you get on this path? Good question. That too. Um, so medicine was my first love. Um, I remember as far back as being like, I would guess I was like four or five. 
and I used to bandage people up and I would take popsicle sticks and I would splint people even though they didn't have any injuries. And uh, my mom had these medical encyclopedias with all these pictures of things and I would just flip through them like they were, you know, a Dr. Seuss book basically. <laughs> so that has all that interest has always been there. Um, I've had other interests along the way. And, you know, like a lot of us, as you go through the path, start to doubt whether you want to go through the whole process of becoming a physician. But the first love, the first love was medicine, how the body worked. I thought it was fascinating and I wanted to take care of people. And that I knew, I didn't know how, you know, which specialty, like none of that stuff, but I just knew that I found it interesting. So that's cool. So, you know, if I hear that kind of nowadays, I'm thinking, oh yeah, sure. Of course, Doc McStuffins, Doc McStuffins got everybody wanting to be a doctor, but you're talking about doing this way pre-Doc McStuffins. So what was the, who put it in your idea? I mean, who put that idea in your mind? Was it just the fact that you had the encyclopedias or was it your mom saying, hey, go read these encyclopedias or, you know, what? Who told you to go split somebody? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I definitely loved my pediatrician at the time. So I, I have to guess that that weighed in to some degree. I remember when I used to go to her office, she had all of the kids' pictures on her wall. And I remember at a certain point looking at that. And some of them were like my classmates. So I knew them. And I remember thinking, I want to do that. Like, I want to be the doctor that takes care of everybody in the neighborhood and then their families, you know? And I, again, I didn't know enough to know what that would look like. Um, but I just remember thinking, I want people to send me their school pictures. <laughs> and I want, I want to, you know, pictures of their babies being born. Like I want to be a safe space for folks to come and where everybody knows me. And so I remember that, that memory I remember, I remember that wall of photographs. And then, you know, my parents were very supportive of whatever I wanted to do, um, which is, which was great. I mean, I, you know, a lot of times you see folks that whose parents are just like overly realistic, like, no, you can't do that, you know, or, you know, you should go down this path and not that path. They pretty much let me pave my own path. Um, and supporting me. If I said, you know, tomorrow I want to be an astronaut, then they would say, let's go to the library. Cause we had libraries back then. Let's go to the library and look <laughs> yeah, up what yeah, it yeah. takes to become an astronaut. I mean, that, that type of support was really, really encouraging. Um, and I appreciated it. Um, so I don't know that she was definitely pushing me down a particular path, but she definitely just whatever thoughts came to mind, let's go explore it. Let's go look it up. Let's see what it takes and see if it's something that you even are interested in. And she did a lot of that. So I'm thankful and grateful for that. Um, and then I remember too, my dad had um, had a very significant surgery um, because of cancer on his shoulder. And around that same time, I remember saying to him, because um, they kind of messed it up. And I remember saying to him, Daddy, if I was your doctor, I wouldn't have messed it up. How old and were you? I was, by then he was, yeah, I was probably about five going on six at that point. So all kind of the same snapshot of time. And then from there, I just, it just was a given. Like people just basically was like, oh, she's going to be a doctor. And I just did things uh -huh. along that route. But I didn't actually no, uh, like personally, no, like we didn't have any family members that were physicians. I didn't have any, 
you know, childhood friends whose parents were physicians, nurses and nurses assistants, yes, but no physicians until much later. So I don't know. I, I guess God <laughs> with, with the thought in my head, but it's not like we had anybody in our personal circle that knew anything about going to medical school or anything like that. So I had to figure it out on my own. That's great. Great for people to hear, right? Because sometimes, and it's, it is definitely important to see it and to have that guidance. And so you have to have that at some point in time, right? But it's great for people to understand that, hey, there's still a way, you know, especially for parents, if your child expresses that interest, there's still a way for you to support your child on this journey of going to medicine or lawyer, whatever it is, there's a way to support your child. Absolutely. I mean, you also have to think about the fact that we're talking about the 80s and the 90s, right? So there was no Google, there was no search everything, everything at your fingertips or in your pocket. So we really had to like look things up. Like I went to the library to look up scholarships and to figure right. out other questions they had, about, right? About medicine and like the index, the cards with the, you had to follow the, n the numbers to figure oh, out yeah. where the books were. What was that system called? The, the Dewey Dewey system or something like that? It's called yes, something. or Dewey Decimal System or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So if, yeah, so absolutely. If I can figure it out uh, with no physicians in my family, a library, no Google, like, absolutely. I mean, the way that information is out there now, definitely people can, can look it up and digest it and figure it out. Um, but definitely, I will say, even though I didn't have that, I had a lot of support. And I think that is that is a key part of it. I talk to folks all the time, even when you know I've I've interviewed folks uh, when I had my my urgent care center, who would tell me, you know, I wanted to be a doctor, but my mom told me it wasn't realistic, or oh, yeah. my mom told me that I wasn't smart enough and I wouldn't get in. And I'm like, why would they say that? You know, because my experience was like, I mean, like I said, if I wanted to be an astronaut. We would have. I would have been. I would have been an astronaut. So, <laughs> why, so, so, why do you think they say that though? That's a good question. So why would they say that? Well, why do they say that? It does seem like I can't imagine telling my kids something like that. Like my kids. I mean, you could see those of you who are watching on YouTube. By the way, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. But I mean, you see in the background, right? My kids are like super into sports. My, you know, my middle child loves basketball. I mean, my my oldest child loves basketball. I'm five nine, five ten at my highest ever in my life on the best day ever, right? Um, so in my mind, I'm like, he's good. He can play. So I don't know what's, where God's going to put him up, but mm -hmm. you know, most people would be like, okay, you're five, nine, you're probably not going to make it, but I'm not going to tell my child that I'm gonna be like, you can do whatever you want do the best. So I don't get it too. So why would a parent tell their child that they can't be a doctor? I think it's just a different philosophy. I mean, I too, am a parent. I have a 16 year old who next year is going off to college. Um, so I have the same philosophy that you have and like how I was raised is that whatever he wants to be, I'm just going to, I'm here for support. I'm supporting Cass. However, I, I do understand though. I think it's in a way they're trying to protect them. I think that they, they are almost like, well, I don't want to send my child out, out into the world to get disappointed because disappointment hurts. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would rather tell them that. Mm, you're probably not going to make it. You might not be smart enough. You might not have the grades for it. Then to let them put all this time and energy into it, do it, fail, and have that level of sadness, especially if maybe they have their own failures in life and maybe they just don't want their kids to feel that level of pain. Here's That's how I like to look at it. So here's the challenging question. Is one philosophy better than the other between those two? I know what you're I mean, say. 
it's hard to tell somebody how to parent their own child. But personally, I always encourage people to not be a dream killer. <laughs> like it's, it's one thing to say, look, like in your case, like, hey, listen, if you make it to the NBA, you're going to be the shortest forward there. Is, you know, like it's one thing to be realistic and there's another to just squash the dream, I think. And I think that's the difference. You know, you can say, look, the odds are going to be stacked against you because you're not this. You don't have that. You don't have that. But I'm going to help you do it. We're going to find another way in. Maybe you maybe you have some special skill that the other people don't have and it'll make up for the fact that you're not so tall. But that's what we're going to have to do because these are the things stacked against you. That's how I approach it, at least with my own, my son and my nieces and nephews and my godchildren. So that's perfect. And I, and I also think it's important to recognize that these parents, like you said, they're trying to protect their kids. They're, they're not, they're not. And a lot of them, honestly, like a lot of the ones that I've interacted with in situations like that, a lot of them just don't know what it takes to become a doctor. So they don't, it's hard to become a doctor, but it's not impossible. Some people think like, oh, it's an impossible task. Well, we all did it, right? So it's not impossible. Right. And the parents just, they haven't been exposed to it, so they, they don't necessarily know. So what type of child were you? Something like you were reading encyclopedias. Uh, let me ask you this. What's the worst thing you did as a child? <laughs> oh, man. Because you don't mind your son hearing about. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know. Um... I was honestly, I was a relatively speaking, I was a pretty good kid. Um, I was a pretty good kid. I mean, you know, probably like teenage stuff, like we would, you know, sneak and be places that we weren't supposed to be. And then, you know, I'm continuing to date myself, but we would have pagers, right? So I, I, I grew up in Jersey City, which is right across from Manhattan. And, you know, we were supposed to stay in Jersey and we would sneak to Manhattan as an example. And then my mom would page us or page me and I'd be with other friends who were equally as afraid of her. And then we would literally race, like race to get to the path, to take the path train back into Jersey so that when I called her back from her page, a Jersey number would show up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, um, the phones, the, um... The payphone. Payphones. Absolutely. So, like, I mean, we didn't really, honestly, we didn't do a whole lot of of horrible stuff, which is why we're still here to to tell the story. But we definitely were not always where we said we were going to be, and sometimes that caught up to us, or it would take a really long time for me to call her back, and I, we would just say, "Oh, we're trying to find a payphone," and we were. It's just that we had passed five of them in Manhattan on the way to the one that I called her from. Trying to find the one that had the right area code on it. <laughs> right. Um, man, you bring it back memory. See, we didn't even, we didn't used to pay. We would, I don't know if you remember, we would just pick it up and like dial zero and they'd be like, it's a collect call. <laughs> be like, at the at the dial, whatever, say, at the beep, say your name. And we'll be like, I'm at the store, come pick me up really quick. <laughs> Kids today do not know. You know what I, re- I realized the other day? My uh, my son had called somebody. I don't know. I guess it had to have been a landline, and it was making a, a noise. And he's like, "What is this noise?" And I was like, "What do you mean? Dial it back and call. Let me hear it." It was the busy signal. Oh wow! Think about it. These kids have never heard the busy signal. So cell phones don't have they've grown up with cell phones. I've never even thought about that. They don't. There's no busy signal on a cell phone. No, it goes to voicemail. Oh, I didn't think about that. Right. And I was just like, these kids don't know. They don't they don't get it. The pay phones, the busy signal. Somebody doesn't have uh, call waiting. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. 
I mean, those days, anyway. you know, your parents <laughs> listen on the other line and stuff like that when you right. talk to your friends. Um, so overall, it sounds like you were a pretty solid kid, pretty, pretty good kid and did what you were supposed to do. Um, so let's, you know, fast forward into, um, I, I got the medicine part. When did you start getting that interest in journalism? Because again, part of the reason I, I, I wanted your story is because it's cool, because a lot of people want to do it. A lot of people want to do that, mm -hmm. um, but people don't know the pathway to make it happen, right? So when did you start getting this interest and in saying, hey, you know, I want to get into journalism? And was it medical journalism? Or were you just interested in journalism? It was just journalism. That's what's funny. So I was writing for um, the college newspaper, one of the college newspapers before I even went, before I even applied to medical school. Um, at that time, most of it was, it was like a health column because I was you know, taking all these science courses and I was interested in health still. But um, I went to medical school. I was still writing for like some community papers. And then as part of like a health communication elective, um, because they were piloting like an MPH program at my medical school, and that was one of the electives, I did an internship at the NBC station down in Miami. And I just found myself like any minute I wasn't in class, I was at the station and I was just like, what is this? So I had always written. I loved magazines. I still, there's still probably a bunch of paper magazines in my mother's basement right now loved magazines loved books um loved to write loved to read and then i got opened up to this like tv world and you know you can kind of teach yourself how to write especially if you have a good editor but tv i was like what is what are these words they're using what do these cameras do they're big monster cameras rolling around on things and i was like i need to learn this so at that point it was um my first no this was my fall semester of second year of medical school at this point and so at that point i was like you know i think i want to go get a master's in journalism i don't i didn't want to be you know this doctor that puffed her chest up and said well I, you know i'm going to come work for this new station because i'm a doctor I was like, no, I want to learn. I want to go to journalism school. I want to learn how they learn. Uh, I want them to respect yeah. me as a journalist. I want to, you know, learn how to investigate things. I want to learn how to do sources and fact checking. And I want to learn how to shoot that camera. That's what I want to figure out. And um, so I actually left medical school in between fall and spring semesters of second year. Um, applied to a bunch of one-year journalism programs, got into the, the school where I had gone to undergrad, it's Northeastern in Boston, um, ended up getting a tuition scholarship. And I was like, all right, I think I'm going to go. I didn't really have a place to live or a job yet. And a couple of days before I pulled out from Miami, cars packed, uh, my old boss, reached out to me and just like, Hey, you know, how are things going? And I was like, Oh, I'm actually getting ready to move back to Boston. She said, Oh, really? I'm looking for an office manager. She's an OBGYN. And so I'm like, all right, I got a, I got a tuition scholarship. I got into school. I got a job and I got a ton of friends there. So it doesn't even matter if I have an apartment yet. And I was on my way. And that's kind of how I made the decision to go back to Boston and in that situation to do the master's in journalism. Um, cool. so go ahead. Um, no, I was that, that that's pretty cool. I think it's fascinating. I never even thought about what you were saying until you just said it. A lot of people, probably medicine, will try to just go in there and say, I'm a doctor, I have some sort of entitlement rights to be seen, or blah blah blah, whatever you know, to get you know, to get input. But you're like, I'm not doing that. 
I'm going to earn. I'm going to know the information as good as possible. So whenever, in the world of journalism, something else I hadn't really thought, I respect the field, of course, right? But we just watch it and we see people writing journals. We don't ever take time to think about how much professionalism is involved in that, like how much they've had to learn. So is it, it's a rhetorical question, but is it really that crazy amount of stuff you had to learn, like super different from medicine, completely different angle? Was it, was it kind of a lot to pick up on? It was, it wasn't a lot in the way that we mean it in the medical world, you know, like that's just like that quantity of information is just unmatched, mm -hmm. but it was different. It was very different. Um, I went, I went back, I did the one year program. Um, the other thing that I will add too, is that part of the reason or the benefit of me doing the masters is that I wanted to intern at other places and they wouldn't take you unless you were a journalism student. So in that year, I interned at Boston Magazine. I interned at some other stations. I interned for a, a newspaper, a local newspaper, because it was still an actual physical paper at the time. And a lot of those places would not take you if you were not already in journalism school. So that was the other benefit of me doing that. But the information between the internships, I mean, that was invaluable. Like that just, I mean, you can learn the theory in class, but that part was great. And then with respect to TV production, that, I mean, I wouldn't have, even now, honestly, I don't know that I would have learned it to the degree that I learned it in journalism school, even now with YouTube and Google and all that. I mean, I was literally, you know, shooting and editing my own stuff, learning the hard way about audio and video stuff. And back then it wasn't digital. You were literally like, rewinding the tape and it was like <laughs> and you had to like stop it at the right point and edit I mean once you do things like that all of this other stuff is like a piece of cake um so back then I mean that was that was valuable information that I don't know that I would have gotten any time before like maybe the last couple of years and we're talking 2003 at that point so I did that um came back to medical school tried to, you know, pick up where I had left off and fill in all the gaps. The curriculum changed a little bit. So it was, you know, scrounging to to get back on track um, timing wise. But then I still ended up having my summer off. So I spent that summer at an at an NBC station in Louisville, Kentucky. And when I came back, I ended up getting a job as an associate producer um, at that same NBC in Miami that I had originally done the internship in before I left. So I was APing, which is what we call it for short, um, which meant, I, so I was doing it for the 5 a.m. news show. So mm -hmm. I was getting there like 1.30 to 2 a.m., writing from 2 to 4, 2 to what 5. Time did you, what time did you, what was your bedtime? We're going to get there. Right. <laughs> and then I would write from 2 to 5, and then the show would start, the news would start, and then I would most of the time I was running prompter. So all the script that like the anchors and stuff were reading on air, there's most of the time the associate producers are writing those scripts. So they're reading it, but they're reading it from, I mean, they have a paper copy, but they're mostly reading it from the teleprompter. So I would be working the teleprompter. And then 7 a.m. would start. And then that's when like today's show and everything would come on. And then we were doing the cut-ins. And then I would leave and go to med school. <laughs> Oh. And I would, you know, at that point, I think there were like two or three classes I was doing at that point. Because again, like I said, I was kind of filling in the gaps of what I had missed. 
And I would do that, be in med school during the day, go home, do my work. I'd sleep usually like 7 p.m. to midnight-ish or 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. And then I'd get up and drive to the station and rinse and repeat. Goodness gracious. That is yeah. crazy. I was definitely a much younger version of myself at that point. <laughs> So you learn, not just learning journalism, you practice in journalism. Yes. Learning medicine at the same time. Yes. And at that point, I'm not just doing health journalism. I'm literally just doing the news. So kite fairs, you know, house fires, you know, the same, like regular local news. That's what, that's what I was writing. So how did that, um, how did that impact you as a clinician being, how does your journalism does it help you out in any way or what's the benefit it, there? It definitely has. So um, it's funny, I actually wrote my residency personal statement about this, but the, um, the first thing is that having to take large amounts of information and digest it into like 30 second, 60 second, 90 second, you know, stories or packages. Um, I don't know. It just, it did something to my brain. Um, and it's, it's weird to say it like that, but it made then going back to med school and, you know, looking at again, large quantities of information and having to summarize it in a way that I could remember it and then regurgitate it so much easier. And so, you know, I will admit before I left for journalism school, it was tough. I mean, I was doing, I was doing well, but I, I was spending a ton of time studying sometimes even more than my classmates just to try to like break down all the information and there was a demonstrable difference for me in my level of studying and how much time i had to put into or didn't have to put into it when i went back so i think that year of just like you know i mean you've seen news stories like they it starts out with like pages of background information you know and you interview like four or five six different people and then it goes in the news and it's 30 seconds <laughs> and you have to like you know that was also back in the day where news was we really prided ourselves on like facts and being unbiased and showing both sides of something you know the the way i was trained if you ever mentioned like the Republicans in a story, you had to mention the Democrats. So you had to mention their response to it. You could never just present one side of any issue, political or otherwise. So you got to do that and show the other side and you got 30 seconds. So my brain just got really good at like reading fast, skimming, pulling out what's most important and piecing it together, not only in the way that you got it, but now you have to break it down into sixth grade layman's terms. So whatever that did to me over that year, by the time I went back to school, it was like so much easier for I me to digest it. So that was like the biggest one. And then the second one was, you know, it's funny, I ended up, um, so I originally wanted to do family medicine. So that's kind of where I settled out when, you know, going to my doctor's office and seeing the pictures, I put it together. Okay, I could sh I should be a family medicine physician because then I can take care of the whole family. I ended up in emergency medicine. Yeah, um, I, I was super curious to know how you got there, and I'm wondering if journalism had anything to do with it. What what you saw and experiences, the exposure. So it uh, partially. So I the biggest reason I made the switch is that I knew I wanted to do underserved populations, and in a lot of my family rotations, I felt like the folks I wanted to take care of weren't making it to the office. 
they were going to the oh. ER because of access, either insurance, because remember that was way before ACA stuff. So it was either access, can't pay, or they just don't have a doctor. And so they were never making it to their appointments. I wasn't seeing the people that I that represented the populations I wanted to take care of, but they were all in the ER. So I was like, well, maybe I could have greater impact being there in the ER where they are and then either teaching them in that moment or referring them to where they need to be or pulling whoever in the hospital's job it is to point them in the right direction. So that's what started making me look at it, emergency medicine. And it's still the same, right? It's still adults, kids, GYN, a little more urgency to it than maybe family medicine, but still the full breadth of medicine, which I knew I wanted. But one of the things that I wrote about in my personal statement was the, the chaos, the synchronized chaos of a newsroom is very similar to things that happen in the emergency oh. department, right? No person can, you know, stand there and make a newscast all by themselves. Well, now, now you can do stuff like that with, you know, your camera and social media. But back then, there was no way that would happen, right? It's everybody had their role. And if anybody dropped the ball, you, the audience might be looking at a black screen at home, okay? <laughs> but it's still like so, that for real news. I mean, because, you know, the few times I've been on the news or whatever, it's still like that. I can imagine, I yeah. can see what you're saying. You got people everywhere. Somebody's saying this. I quiet on the set. Somebody, you know, you got so many people trying to Absolutely. bring it all to one thing. It's like being in a code and um, like in a patient's code, you know, trying exactly. to pull it all together. Exactly. You have the captain of the ship, right? That's telling everybody where to go, organizing the chaos. But again, if somebody decides to go rogue and they don't follow it, you're going to be looking at a black screen. If somebody goes rogue in the emergency department, there might be a bad outcome, right? Like there, everybody has a role and everybody's role is equally as important. And that kind of synergy, that's what I wrote. That's actually what I wrote uh, my personal statement about. My first state, my first sentence of my um personal statement for residency was television has made me a better doctor <laughs> and i'm laughing because um i had asked someone uh in a mentor capacity about writing that and whether you know should i should i mention that i did journalism and why is it journalism obviously i'm gonna have a gap right in my resume i left med school is a gap in my transcript should i mention it and why i did it and i was originally advised you know just just mention that it's a hobby. Don't don't, you know, talk about how passionate you are about it. It might make you look scattered. Don't do that. Um, so you asked me, right? I mean, at that point I was an adult, but you also asked me like what kind of child I was. And so this is probably consistent with how I was as a child too. Um, so this is what the advice I was given. And then my first sentence of my personal statement was television made me a better doctor. <laughs> I yeah, didn't I hide say, it at all. <laughs> I would say, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I don't know who gave you that advice, but I don't know what, I, I don't, I don't follow that trend of thought, you know, I'm very big on, because if you would ask me that, I'd be like, yeah, you better talk about that, you know, but uh, I guess different people have different, different trends of thoughts. For advice. All right. Um, so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to bring this to a closure, but before we sure. do, I, I do want to ask you, so many things we didn't we didn't even get to you know you, I know you went to business school in Chapel Hill, uh, Chapel Hill, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a Dukey, right? So I was gonna Hill. say, is this a Duke UNC thing here? It is. It is. My wife, my, I did residency at Duke. My wife, my wife did her residency at um, Chapel Hill. So I, okay. I do gotta look for Chapel Hill, but I still got it. It wouldn't be right if I didn't kind of like eh, I have to do that, right? <laughs> um, 
but you know, you got the MBA thing. So to me, I think it's kind of cool how you talked about your office manager back then. So you started getting the business. Stuff. So all this stuff kind of came full circle for you. So mm-hmm. what does the future hold for Dr. Thais Gaines? Since you got emergency medicine doctor, journalism experience, business background. I know you do a lot of them coaching, consulting. Um, by the way, um, so this is a plug for what you do right now. So coaching and consulting, Dr. Thais Gaines, is there a website or how can they find out about that? Anybody, yeah. any physician listening that might want, want that? Sure, they can go to Doctors High Media. It's all spelled out. So D-O-C-T-O-R-T-Y Media, all one word, dot com. And it'll take them to the webpage. That'll show them everything that we do. Um, and as far as the future, honestly, I don't know. Um, I'm in a I'm in an, a unique position uh, compared to the rest of my life where I always had like a set plan, a set trajectory. Um, as far as emergency medicine went, I, you know, I've been academic faculty, then I switched over and did administration. I was assistant medical director, then I became chairman of my emergency department for a couple of years. Then I became medical director of an urgent care. Then I opened up my own urgent care, which has since closed during COVID. Um, you know, I'm still doing the the branding and media coaching as well. And, you know, I still pick up chefs here or there. So I don't know, I, I'm in a unique position where this is the first time that I do not have like a five-year plan. Is it liberating? Is it freeing in a sense? It is, it is actually. Um, and I mean, I feel like I've earned it. I mean, I definitely have worked, you know, a lot of jobs at the same time <laughs> in a short amount of time, because in between all of this, if you, you know, didn't do the math, I have a 16 year old. So I had him in medical school. So while all this stuff is going on, including the NBC stuff, he existed on this planet. So I, def- I, def- you know, I definitely did the math when you were telling me, yeah. something, I definitely did the math. And I was like, man, she ain't even talking about doing this. She got a, she's got a child somewhere in this right here, you know? I did. Actually, you know, when I first started in, at NBC Miami Associate Producing, he was in the belly. And then all the stuff after that, he was outside of the belly. Um, so I feel like, you know, I'm just enjoying it. You know, he has one more year before he goes off to college. I'm enjoying just being able to be around. Um, and then once he leaves, then, you know, who knows what the, the next phase holds. But I do enjoy coaching um, other physicians to do the stuff that, you know, I was trying to do so long ago and I did so long ago because back then, you know, the, you didn't see docs on TV the way you do now in 2003 or even 2010, you know, like this is a fairly new occurrence. So I love it. Even 2019, I tell you, since COVID came, that the number of doctors on TV since COVID, I feel like it's like quadrupled or something. It's true, but I love it. And that's why I went into coaching. I went into the coaching because I knew that everybody couldn't go back and do a master's in journalism and interrupt their life and do that. So I tried to figure out how can I, you know, just summarize it all basically into nuggets that they can, you know, digest. So there's like a course, I also do one-on-one coaching so that they can get to that point because I want to see us in front of the camera giving out medical information. With all due respect, there are tons of awesome reporters and, and you know journalists and, and producers that are out there. But when it comes to health information, I just feel like we need to be the ones that are out there delivering that. But if all you've been trained in is medicine and you have not been trained in media and how to talk to lay folks and just the ins and outs of news broadcasts, then you know, it might be harder for you to do that. You know, when I was a producer, the biggest thing was, you know, they say, oh, who should we call about this topic? And I'd say, oh, call Dr. So-and-so. And And they'd say, 
oh, but they're so dull, you know, like, cause we don't, we don't get that training, right? We get, mm -hmm. we get grand rounds training, which is very robotic. And even if you have some spunk, they almost beat the spunk out of you, you know? So <laughs> you learn not to speak that way. And so it's almost like I'm putting that back into people so that we can be entertaining enough so that the mom that's at home listening to your broadcast while she's fixing breakfast can actually tune in and pay attention and understand what you're saying. So that was actually my mission in that was that I wanted to see more of us in front of the camera writing the articles because we have the knowledge. So why not put the people who have the most knowledge, who are taking care of the patients, who are seeing this firsthand in front of it. So for now, you know, I'm doing that stuff and, you know, just being a mom and working, you know, here or there, and we'll see what the next chapter holds. Well, I'm confident that whatever it holds is going to be good for you, Dr. Thais Gaines, all the stuff that you've accomplished. Um, that's amazing. There's <laughs> yeah. a lot, a lot of stuff. So um, I don't know you like that, but I'm proud of you. I know your mom's proud of you. Um, <laughs> But hey, thank you so very much again for being on the show, Dr. Thais Gaines, everybody. Make sure you check out the website, um, social media. Um, what are these things called? Handles. Do you got any social yes. media handles for people? Yes. So on Twitter, it's Dr. Ty, D-O-C-T-O-R-T-Y. On Instagram, it's Dr. D-R dot Ty Gaines, T-Y-G-A-I-N-E-S. The other Dr. Ty was taken on Instagram. Um, and then on Facebook as well, if you if you look up Dr. Thais Gaines, my professional page is there and I post as well. Excellent. So you guys check out Dr. Thais Gaines to the listeners. Thank you so very much for rocking with Black Men and White Coast. We appreciate it. Um, pre-meds, hey, check us out, premedmondays.com. Monday nights, we got a pre-med mastermind group. I send you a weekly video helping you guys get some of the best tips that's out there. Um, if you're taking the MCAT, come and get this money. We don't have too many people applying. It blows my mind. We got money for you. Just do the application. It'll take you 15 minutes, and we're going to give you some money, all right? Um, if, if you're, if you got to, that place got to be decent. But not too many people applying, so most people are getting this so far, guys. Apply for that money. Um, and remember, check out the virtual mentor and luncheon, and it's coming soon. Check your emails for it, and if you're not on our email list, Join the email list, blackmenandwhitecoast.org backslash email. Subscribe. Love you guys. And we'll see you next time. Ooh. I'm on them band like a daddy, yeah. Only do it like flagger, yeah. I'm kicking flavor, no saga, yeah. Hey, I like them blues. I might go Janet like Jackson. I got the margin, yeah. It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a lesson. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, ain't no time for stressing, I've been really stacking. Ooh.